Welcome to the More Sure Word Podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, thank you for the comfort that comes from your word, that it's a sure word, that it is like silver refined seven times. It's perfect, that we can trust every word of it, Lord. And I pray that as we come to your word tonight, that we would be assured of what we have in you. And that you would help us to grow in our obedience to you, that we may know that we know you. Help me, Lord, to teach your word and help us all to understand and to apply it to our lives. May we grow in our love for you through this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you guys wouldn't mind opening in your Bibles to 1 John. We are making our way through 1 John, and tonight we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And I've titled this section, Talking the Talk, Walking the Walk. Talking the Talk, Walking the Walk. And as you're turning there, if you've already turned, I want to start by talking a little bit about Gardening. (laughs) I've recently taken to gardening. Growing up close to L.A., there's not as much room to garden. Uh, The closer and closer you get to there, the less and less space you have to do things like that. People live pretty much on top of each other. And so it's been great moving out back out to the Central Coast, where in my backyard I actually have some space to grow fruits and vegetables, which I've never really done before. And at first I was really gung-ho and really excited about it, but now I've become doubtful that I'm actually going to be able to do it well, <laughs> that the, they're actually going to grow something that we can eat. I'm not sure if I have good seeds or if we have good soil or if they're going to get overwatered and drowned, rot. And so, I mean, the packages that I bought, they say, you know, they're good seeds, but how would I actually know that the seed, the soil, the gardening was good? What's going what's gonna to prove that to me? What? <laughs> the fruit, right? The fruit, when it actually grows, matures, and starts producing fruit. Pretty simple. But how about this? When you look at a Christian, how do you know that the true gospel was planted in them? To say it another way, how do you know that there was an actual, real transformation that took place inside? You look at their, their life, right? You look at the fruit of their life. Right? If we want to know that we know Him, then we look at the fruit of our life. And that's really the question, is it? How do I know that I am of Christ? 
How do I know that I really have been saved by him, that I'm one of his, that I'm firmly planted in Christ? We all ask that question at one time or another. It's the very question, thankfully, that John wants to answer in this letter. It's a question that the believers in Asia Minor needed to be answered. They were doubting from all the lies that were coming in. They were doubting because they were starting to live sinfully again. And there's doubt that comes when we, when we disobey. And they were doubting because some of them were going back to trying to earn their salvation. And so they could never quite do it and they were failing. And they didn't know if they really knew Christ. And so thankfully, John, loving them, desiring that they know the true gospel that he preached, the true God who sent it, and the true work of Christ, he writes to them. And we've seen that. We've seen those things that he's laid out for us. And he wants them to have continued assurance. He wants them to have day-to-day assurance, security, that they really are Christ's. That something has happened in their heart and in their spirit. And so he writes. Look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Read them with me. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John wants them to be assured that they are Christ's. I want us to know if we've believed in him, that we are secure in him. And so in this section, I want us to look at four truths that John writes that will help us to be assured of our relationship with God. Four truths which help us to see where we stand with God. And John was a logical Hebrew thinker. He writes in a very sequential way, and he writes very straightforwardly he gives a principle he gives two applications of that principle and then he gives us an example to follow so let's look first at the fundamental principle in verse three the fundamental principle in verse three look at verse three by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments If we keep his commandments. John wants us to know that we have a saving relationship with God. He wants us to know. That is amazing. He doesn't say, by this we hope that we have come to know him. By this we wish that we have come to know him. By this we might know that we have come to know him. No, by this we know that we have come to know him. He wants us to be assured. He wants us to have certainty. He wants us to be able to know without a doubt that we are a child of God. 
What does it mean to know him? To know Christ? Well, in the Greek language, there were two different words for know. One was to know intellectually, to know facts. The other was to know experientially, to know beyond fact, but to have actually had an experience with this person that you know, such that you have a relationship with them, that there's intimacy, that they've had an effect on your life, and that that effect is still occurring. You could say it this way, I may know about Albert Einstein, but I know Pastor John Mark. We have a relationship. He's had an effect on my life. His, his, this knowing of John Mark, this relationship, this intimacy we have, has changed who I am. And he's gone on changing me through that relationship. That's the word that John uses here in verse 3. That experiential knowledge. By this we can know that we know God in such a way that he has changed us. We know him in a saving way. We know, uh, uh, how, we know him in a relationship, an intimate relational way that he has made us different. That it's affected us and that it goes on affecting us. That's what John is saying here. And he wants us to know if we have that. If we know God in that way. And what is the principle? We know that to be true if we keep his commandments. See that there in verse 3? Straightforward principle. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. How do you know if a person has turned from a life of sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ in such a way that they've been transformed, that they're really his? When you see holy fruit in their life that only God could produce. Listen to what God said in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a, covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. God said that in the new covenant sealed with the blood of Christ, people are changed from the inside out. No longer is God's law external to someone, something that they are trying to live up to, but they never can. But now it is something that is written within them, and they have a new heart and a new spirit that actually empowers them to live out that, those commands. You see, the problem with humans is not that we just sometimes say sinful things or do sinful things, but that we're actually rotten to the core from sin. That sin has saturated every single part of us to the very core of who we are. We don't just need behavior modification. We need to be surgically made new from the inside out. We need divine transplant. And so the person who comes to Christ and says, Christ, please 
kill this life on the cross with you and give me a completely new life, your very life. The Holy Spirit comes and literally gives that person a new heart, fills that person, making them a new creation. It's not just a makeover, it's a completely different person. And we know that person, we know that transformation, that transplant has occurred based on the external realities of their life. It's like a projector. We put a movie in the DVD player and it plays what's inside. You wouldn't expect to put one movie on the inside and then see a different movie on the screen. In the same way, if, we, if Christ has really transformed the person from the inside out, if the gospel, the true gospel, has come in and changed that person, if God has reached down and given that person a new heart and a new spirit through faith in Christ, then it only displays like a projector in their transformed life. A transformed inside displayed in a transformed outside John, so what are you saying here? We receive that assurance when we obey Christ's commandments. We see in our life that something really has happened inside. The person I once was, I don't see that person anymore. I'm this totally different person. And it's not like John is saying perfection. He's saying direction he's saying i once you once were living this way in complete and utter disobedience i love the world i love what the world had to offer i wanted to serve myself i was all about me my glory how can i be great to lord your glory you be displayed i love you help me to love you more help me desire what you desire help me to live in holiness a complete change in direction. How does this play out practically? John gives us two different types of people to help us really see this principle in action. And he begins with the fibbing pretender. Verse 4, the fibbing pretender. Look at verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's the scary reality. That's the principle applied in the negative. The truth is, is that sometimes we can say things that aren't really true of us. We all know that. We can talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk, right? It's easy to say something that may not be true. Some people say, I have come to know Christ, or I'm a Christian. Jesus is my Lord. I prayed a prayer one time. But John says, but look at the principle. You look at their life, and it's full of disobedience. It's full of sin. The pattern of their life is, is the same as, as before they, they made this claim, before they made this proclamation. The pattern of their life is still not keeping with someone who would be transformed. They claim to know a God who transforms, and yet their life isn't transformed. So what is the only conclusion we can come to? 
they're lying about really knowing God. They're lying. They're lying. Not they're deceived. He says they're lying. Because even they know that the pattern of their life is not keeping with the principle. That the pattern of their life, their desires, their thoughts, their actions, their deeds, are a habitual pattern walk of sinfulness, of worldliness, of old desires. Nothing has changed. They have clearly not known Christ in that experiential way that changes a person. Think of it this way. I grew up playing baseball. Do you guys all know who Babe Ruth is? Imagine I said to you, I know Babe Ruth. You'd be like, yeah, right, you're lying. And you're like, okay, hold on, let me tell you the truth. Not only do I know him, but I spend time with him. He actually trains me how to play baseball. Whoa, okay, now you're really lying. Okay, let me be more honest. I'll give you the full details. Not only does he train me, but actually, um, Babe Ruth lives in me. (laughs) When I play baseball, it's actually Babe Ruth playing through me. And you're like, whoa, this guy's either a lunatic or he's just bold-faced liar. And then you watch me play baseball and I'm striking out. I can't even make contact with the ball. You hear me in the dugout saying, I hate baseball. I hate batting. This is horrible. You'd say, Matt, you are a crazy lunatic liar. And it sounds absurd, but that's what John's saying. The person who says, I've had an encounter with the glorious power of Jesus Christ, who came down, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. I died with him on that cross. I put my faith in him to live this new life in him. I know him. He's changed me. I'm living a transformed life because of him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then you look at their life and they look nothing like Christ. They're lying. They're lying, John says. You can't have an encounter with Almighty God and stay the same. A saving relationship with God does not leave someone the same. It's a hard, it's a hard reality, but John gives us to us straight. But he writes to us not to cast doubt He's just clearing up the facts. And so he quickly says, but, and it's a very strong adversative. He wants to contrast quickly. And if you notice in verse five, he even reiterates that same statement he said in verse three, by this, we know that we are in him. He wants to remind us of how we can be sure. And so he quickly applies the principle in the positive way by showing us the faithful pupil, the faithful follower of Christ. Look at verse 5. The implied and the one who says, I have come to know him and keeps his word, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfective, perfected. This is, this is the positive reality. That if you say you know him, And you keep his word. 
that your life shows a transformation. You can see that fruit and have full assurance. I am Christ's. There's no way that I would have done this before. What is, what is this life that I'm now living? Look at these desires I now have to please my, my, my Lord and my God. And again, he's not saying perfection. He's not saying that the fruit, that the tree is all good fruit. Because even a good tree has a rotten fruit here or there. But he's saying there's no way that you pluck every single fruit off that tree and it's either rotten or a fake a synthetic fruit, something that you conjured up yourself. No, he's saying that it's a good tree with good fruit. Maybe not every single one is good all the time. We do fail. We're not perfect. But the direction of our life is keeping with one who's really been transformed. And when we see that, we can say, Lord, my God, you are doing a work within me. I am yours. Thank you. Thank you. And notice that phrase that he says. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love, and it'd be better translated, the love for God has truly been perfective, perfected. That word perfect that, Paul, that, that John uses there, it's perfected, can mean accomplished, initiated. He's, what John's saying is, is that when we obey, our love for God has met its objective it has accomplished what it set out to do. So we see that obedience is cultivated out of love for God. That the one who keeps his word in him, the love for God that he has, has truly accomplished what it set out to do. When I know who I was before Christ and that God would save a sinner while they were, that person was rebelling against him, that he would sacrifice his own son so that I could be treated like his son. And I grow and I grow and I grow in the knowledge of the gospel. I only can help but grow in my love for Christ. How could you not grow in your love for God? The more and more and more you see how sinful you really were, and that he would pay for every single one of those sins. Think about the context in which we are finding these verses. It just came after verses 1 and 2 last week where we looked into the glorious realities that Christ is our advocate before the Father. He's our lawyer who continually says, not their righteousness, Lord, but mine. Look to my righteousness. And I paid for every single one of their sins. So you can treat them like you would treat me. How can we not only but grow in our love and our love for God? And that produces obedience. It produces this desire within us to say, Lord, wow, I wouldn't have life if it weren't for you. If you didn't give me your life, my life would be going towards destruction, towards ruin. So I only want to give you this life in obedience. That's what John's saying. That our love for God has met its objective when we obey him because true love for God shows itself in obedience and it should bring us assurance those times when we serve one another when we would have been prideful those times when we give a word of affirmation when from the heart when we probably would have never said something like that or we would have 
always been looking to tear someone down or even think of ways that we could boost our own pride by thinking of, of all the ways that that person is, is failing. The times that we desire to just love God, to worship Him, to sing out His praises, the way that we admire what He's done for us, the way that we seek to have Him glorified before the world, the way that we, our heart yearns to go to that person we know needs to hear the Gospel because we know that that is what they need more than anything. All of these things we can look at, we can stop in that moment and think, thank You, Lord. Thank You for that assurance that I am Yours. That I am Yours that you really have transformed me from the inside. That I do know you in a way that has changed my life. And so John wants to motivate us, and he concludes in verse 6 with an example for us. Look at verse 6, the one who says he abides in him, the one who says I am in Christ. I know Him. I'm moving more and more towards Him to abide, to, to, to be so close, like, like Jesus said, the branch to the vine, that you're united to Christ. You receive all of your nourishment, all of your energy, your strength from Him that you can't be separated from. The one who says, I am in Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. How did Christ walk? He only ever did the will of the Father while he was on earth. John 6:38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 8:29 And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. See Christ came and humbled himself to only do what the Father wanted him to do. And so the one who is connected to Christ only wants to do Christ's will in their life. Yes, there are times where we fail in that, where that old temptation comes and knocks on the door and we give way to it. But John says that the one who knows that they know God the direction of their life. They keep his commandments. They walk in them. They love them. They love God and they love to obey him. And we can look to Christ as our pattern. The one who had heavenly glory humbled himself, taking on the form of human flesh to serve the creation that he created. And to do the will of the Father, even if it meant dying on a cross. We can look to Christ and think, wow, He went from the glories of heaven to the most humblest of servants. Who am I? Who am I that I can't humble myself to do the will of the one who died for me? And when we do this, we grow and grow and grow in our assurance that we are Christ's. Sin has a natural effect of causing doubt. Oh no, I fell. Maybe I'm not His. And in those times, we look to verses 1 and 2 and we say, Nope, Christ is my advocate. Christ is my, my propitiation. And then I, I, I can stand and I can walk 
in obedience to Him. And when I'm walking in obedience, then I also receive assurance again that I'm His. That He really is at work in me, picking me back up and continuing me on the path to conform to His likeness. Let's pray together and just ask that the Lord would grow us in this assurance. Precious Lord, so much great truth for us to cover. It really is my my strong desire, Lord, that you would increase our assurance through increasing obedience from you, from an increasing love for you. As John said in verse 4 of chapter 1, that he wrote so that our joy may be made complete. Lord, if you would so desire, increase my joy by increasing the joy of these students through the security that comes in knowing Christ. Help them to cling to his perfect work, that it's not by their obedience that they're saved, it's only by what Christ already did, but help them to see They truly are His by the evidences of a transformed heart which you gave them when they came to you in faith and said, not my life, but your life, Christ. I put myself in your hands. And Lord, you've promised that once in your hands, no one can snatch us from them. For the Father's hands are even over your hands and no one can snatch them from His hands. Thank you for such assurances that you want us to have in your word. I pray that we will grow in them. We will grow to believe them. And that we will grow to love you more and more as we come to realize them. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the More Sure Word podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.